everybody. So glad that you're here. So glad that you're either here in this room with me right now or you're in the room where you are, maybe in your car listening through the app. But we are so glad you are a part of this movement of God called The Porch. Now, we're in this series called Asking for a Friend. Asking for a Friend is uh, a series where we take on some of the questions that are kind of hard to get really clear answers to. Tonight, we're going to talk about what is the will of God for my life? What is the will of God for my life? So all the thousands of you are going to know exactly what to do next after this message. Okay, clearly not. We can't do that much work. But what we can do is we can approach the topic. Now, I want to start here. We've been in 90s mode around here because we're going to have a little thing called launch retreat really, really soon. Those are your friends who are going. Uh, if you're not going, you can go to Awaken Conference. We're going to step it up next year anyway if you didn't make it around this time. But uh, we've all been into this uh, 90s theme that we're going to do at launch over Labor Day weekend, which has got us thinking about stuff like this. You guys remember this? Oh, yeah. This, for those, look, I know that there are three people right now that God loves who don't know what this is. And I want to make sure that all three of you know exactly what this is. This is a game called MASH, all right? Mansion, apartment, shack, house, all right? This is where you fill out the card with some of the options for your life, get some good ones on there, get some bad ones on there, you know, your mood, your house, your car, the boy you want to be with or the girl you want to be with or don't want to be with. It all makes the list, and then random chance happens, all right? If you didn't play MASH, you know, maybe... Maybe I could get you interested with one of these. You guys know this? Oh, yeah. You know, people just taunt you with this stuff. You're like, somebody comes up to you, they're like, I know who you're going to marry. Pick a color. I'm like, all right. All right, you know, blue, you know? All right, B-L-U-E. All right, pick a number, two, one, two. Pick another number, four. Ah, Sheila, ha, 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 you know? People just like hate on you, something terrible. You know, it's like, man. This, uh, we're, we're curious people about our future. If your name's Sheila, I'm sure you're fabulous. But I, I just was picking, I was just picking a name. But we're just naturally curious at a young age about our future. It's funny, maybe you've seen one of these. Uh, oh, yeah. Some of you are like, you're on, you're, some people are sitting at home right now shaking this thing instead of coming to the porch. You're like, okay, am I going to be rich or not? Answer hazy, ask later, no, you know. Even at a young age, we're really curious about our future. We're curious what the will of God might be for our life. We're curious what the secret future that we hope to unlock might be. This is normal. And uh, it's like you're a kid. There's no chance you're going to get married. You have nothing. Why would you even think about this? But even then, we're curious about it. And here's the thing. We don't grow out of this. We're still curious what our next years might look like, aren't we? Except now, curveball, this is hard. Now you're an active decision maker in that. And that's a lot of pressure because now it's not just a play game, you know, with a piece of paper on a playground where you're like, oh, that's awesome. Or it's really bad and you just kind of laugh it off, you know, and you move on. Now the decisions you make as you try to plot your way to the future, now they actually count. They go on the board of your life and they stay there. And so now you're an active participant. And what that creates is a little thing called anxiety. All right. So one of the biggest things that we hear consistently is I feel anxious about my future whether it's related to my job or related to my marital life I hope exists one day or whether it relates to my family life or whether it relates to my current habits that I'm trying to break or build. But I just don't know the will of God for my life and, that, and I've got a decision that's like pressing down on me. This is normal, okay? And even, as, even if you count yourself a follower of Jesus, even if you're here and you'd say, yes, I am trying to seek God's will for my life, like that's an active pursuit, it can still be hard. And when it, we get stuck we have a bad habit of like making up weird stuff to try to clarify things for ourselves. 
You know, like, okay, who should I ask on a date? Mm, okay, God, if she smiles at me, it's her. <laughs> All right, that's who it's gonna be. And we just do, we do these strange things, you know, we just grab our Bible and we're like, okay, God, whatever I read next is gonna help me. Boom. And we just open it. And it says something like, Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king. <laughs> and he reigned eight years. He passed away to no one's regret. And you're looking at it like trying to make it work, you know, like, well, I'm, I'm 32 and regret it, I guess. I don't know. Like, I, like I, I'm trying to make this happen. And you know, we don't have any way. And then you think, okay, you know what? I've been saved because the great theologian Drake has come out with a song called God's Plan. And then you listen to it, and it is not indeed about God's plan. And so you're still stuck. Finding God's will for your life is a hard pursuit. It's a difficult thing. And I know as we dive into this message, I just want to disappoint you early. I can't tell you. If you have a really specific decision, I am not going to be able to tell you exactly what you should do next in a difficult-to-decipher situation it's a difficult to decipher situation, all right? So some of you, um, if you hang on to every word trying to say, is he saying I should, you know, turn in my resignation letter or is he saying I should go ask for a raise? All right, you need to listen and understand what I'm gonna try to do tonight is not answer all of your toughest questions because that would kind of be insulting. They're tough questions. What I'm gonna try to do is give you a process where you can answer them over time by the will of God. What's the will of God for my life? I'm gonna aim to answer three questions tonight. No vagueness, no weirdness, no grandma's wisdom, no signs in the clouds. Like, how do I find God's will? I'm gonna try to answer three questions really clearly. Number one, how do I find the secret will of God? What do I mean the secret will of God? The will of God that he has planned for you that you don't know about yet. The secret will of God, the stuff you're naturally curious about. The decisions you have to make that you hope turn out really great, the blessings you hope you have, all right? The secret will of God. Number two, how do I find the revealed will of God? Because if he's already said something, that would be helpful. If he's already left a few breadcrumbs on the trail of what we should be doing, that would be a helpful place to start. So secondly, I'm gonna answer, how do I find the revealed will of God? And then number three, how do I navigate the gray areas, the gray areas where it's not black and white, it doesn't seem like there's a clear yes or a clear no from God or the Bible, like what do I do in a gray area? Again, may not be able to give you an answer, but I'm gonna provide from the scripture tonight a process. So let's jump in together. Number one, how do I find the secret will of God? I would love to go to one particular verse, it's very old, it's in Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, and I'd love for us to get a look at it as we think through what is the secret will of God and how do I find it? And I find this verse helpful because it at least acknowledges the problem. You'll enjoy this. Okay, if you feel the pressure of a decision or you don't know what God wants you to do next with your life, um, this will help. So here comes Deuteronomy 29, 29, the first half of it. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And so that's helpful because the scripture at least is acknowledging that that exists. You're not supposed to know everything. The writer of this passage, Moses, 3,500 years ago, he didn't know everything. He didn't know everything that was gonna happen in his life, his kid's life, his grandkid's life, the nation of Israel's life. He didn't, there was so much he didn't know and he just had to say, look, some things are secret. They're closed to you. There's a lock on this. This is God's knowledge in here. Okay, so this closed trunk represents the secret things that belong to God. 
in here included, is everything God knows that you don't know and can't yet know. And also in here is all of your hopes. The hopes you hope are in the will of God. How awesome your spouse is gonna be one day. How awesome your spouse, how much money your husband is gonna make one day. All that, all that secret hope you have and you don't know if it's the will of God, it's right there. Are you gonna be able to successfully move up in your career? Are you gonna be able to succeed in the environments that you hope you can succeed in? Are people gonna like you? Are you gonna get to live a significant amount of time? Is your life gonna be cut short? All of these things are unknown by you. They're locked to you, but God knows them, which isn't a solution but it at least acknowledges that we have a limitation. It says, but the things that are revealed belong to us. So God hadn't kept everything a secret. He hadn't decided to completely conceal everything. There are some things you should really know. The revealed things belong to you. They're for you. They're for you and your kids forever. So the secret things are God's. We don't know how our future is gonna turn out, but there are some things that have already been revealed. And let's be honest, it's interesting over here. Anybody ever wanna hover around this? God, I wonder. God, I wonder what you're gonna do. It's easy to hover right here, but look what the scripture says, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the second part of it. Secret things belong to God. The things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And then look at this closely. That, in other words, so that, we may do all of the words of this law. What does he mean? Well, Deuteronomy is a book of the law. It's a book of God's revealed will. The word nam means law, deuteronomy. So the book of Deuteronomy is a book of God's will. And at the, close to the end of this book of God's will, the author just says, look, there's some things we don't know. There's some things we do know. Conclusion, we're gonna get really frustrated about the things we don't know. And we're gonna really sweat it. And we're really gonna get anxious. And we're really gonna get worried. And we're really gonna ask God to let us into this. God, I really need to know now. No, he says, what we're gonna do instead, the reason it works like this is not so we can complain or be frustrated or be filled with anxiety or just uh, paralysis by analysis and just get nervous and let our life collapse under the pressure. No, he says, the things that are revealed belong to us so that we can focus our energy here. So that we can spend our time thinking about what we do know, not panicking over what we don't know. And by the way, this should be some of your first memory verse right now like the first verse you ever memorize, if you've never memorized the verse start to finish, you should memorize this one because it will tell you that your energy and focus should go here because here's what we like to do right now. Okay, it says right there, you know, flee from sexual immorality. I'm gonna keep sleeping with my boyfriend, but then I'm gonna go over here and be like, God, is he the one? Could it be? Is this my husband? Is this the person I'm supposed to be with? We like to do stuff like this. It says you cannot serve God and money. God made that really clear. You can't serve God in money. It's impossible. But you think, oh, no, no, don't worry about that. I gotta make millionaire before 30, understand. And so God, but out here, are you gonna give me a lot of money later so I can be generous later? And you look past what God's already said, hoping to go get some more of what you say you want. And it sounds like God language, you know? You're like, oh, God's will, God's will, God. It's all about you, God. But you're passing up what God's will already has been said to you, you've already missed it. This happens in all kinds of areas. It says in the scripture, whatever you do, work for the Lord and not for men, right? Whatever you do, so whatever your job is, work hard, whatever you do, work as to the Lord and not to men. And we go, oh, okay, no, 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 my boss is a sinner, so you must not understand God, but am I gonna get to be the boss one day? I wonder. 
and we wreck our lives, no exaggeration, we wreck our lives because we're so curious about the secret will of God. And the scripture could not be any more clear. This is interesting and important. The things you hope for yourself, they're important to God. That's why they're in there. You just can't know them. The scripture could not be more clear. Focus your energy right here. Look right here. What has God said and what could you do today to be faithful? There was a, a time in my life when I was struggling with this in a significant way. Um, before uh, age about 21, I didn't really care about the will of God. I just kind of did whatever I wanted. Uh, before I was 16, I had uh, already dabbled in drugs, sex, porn, alcohol. I'd kind of just gone as far as I could go uh, while still being able to live under my father's roof. Thank God for him who kept me standing up at least a little straight. But I went pretty much as far as a, a teenager can go under the influence of my older brother and, uh, and just the wrong crowd. And so that's kind of um, the direction I went. I didn't care anything about the will of God. I would have never said that. Well, by the time I got to my early 20s, I'd become a believer. And God, I realized uh, I embraced grace for my past. I started to try to walk with Christ. And what started to happen was I started to care about the will of God. I started to care about this conversation that we're having. And naturally, I went straight over here. God, what do you want to do through my life? God, what... And I'd pace my kitchen, no lie. My roommates could tell you, I would pace my kitchen. I'm talking about late at night. And I'm like, I wanna do something great for God. I would say this out loud. And that may not sound humble, it's probably not. But I would just say, ah, I wanna do something great for God. Like all this angsty energy. I just wanna do something great for God. I don't know what I should do though. What should I do? Should I do this? Should I do that? Yeah, I just graduated college and I wanna do something for God. What should I do? Well, a few years later, I ended up um, getting to serve here at Watermark in the residency program. And our senior pastor, Todd, took us all to breakfast um, at one point, so we could get some time with him and hear, take some notes on what he had to share with us as we were going through this residency program. And at that breakfast, he was sitting right across from me. He said, you know, here's another thing. I hear these young guys say they want to do something great for God. <laughs> and I look back at him like, unbelievable. I can't. <laughs> Infants, you know, wow. And he said, you know what I never hear? I never hear somebody say, you know what I want to do? I just wanna be faithful today. That's what I wanna do with my life. I wanna be faithful today. And I'll figure out tomorrow when it gets here, but I just wanna be faithful today. And it was one of those moments where I didn't, I didn't wanna say anything because I knew I'd been making the exact error that he, had been, he was just talking about, looking me right in the face. But it was a moment I'll never forget because I realized I am expending a huge amount of energy right now trying to get into the next specific thing God is trying to tell me, which is not a bad prayer to say, God, what's your will for my life? But if I'm obsessing over me, eventually it starts to become clear I'm obsessing over me when God's given me plenty to obsess over right here. Our friend uh, JP has uh, said this in a really clear way that I think is really helpful. He's got a book coming out, by the way, September 4th. It's extremely exciting. This is called Welcome to Adulting. All right, Welcome to Adulting. Very, very helpful. Um, you should definitely pick it up on September 4th. You may be even able to pre-order. Um, and I'm not just saying that because he's my friend. I'm saying it because this content is a shaping of the word of God that changed my life. All right, so here's, here's the way he says it. I can't say it any better than this. You might think it's arrogant that I could claim to know the plan for your life. However, what I've realized is that God has a plan for everyone's life. God has a plan for everyone's life. But most people ignore it. They know the basic things God wants everyone to do, but they choose not to do them. And if you ignore the general plan God has already made clear, why should he bother to give you more specific instructions? 
Why would it be that we would think God's gonna reveal something to us when we aren't listening to what he already revealed? I mean, let's be honest. I'm not trying to hit you over the head, but I mean, let's be honest. If we're on our knees praying, God, please show me what to do. God, please show me what to do. God, please show me what to do. When you're in a willful rebellion against what he's shown you to do, why would you think he's gonna give you more revelation? Why would you think he's gonna unlock doors for you if you're not willfully engaging in what he's telling you to do? You find the secret will of God by obeying the obvious will of God today. That's how you get started. If you wanna know the secret will of God for your life, you get started by obeying the obvious will of God today. Don't be weighed down by anxiety. Anxiety and obsession about the future, sometimes it's always a trap and sometimes it's just narcissism, frankly, because we're obsessed over our own little thing and we want it to know that it's gonna look just right out there in the future, the way we want it to. God, is it gonna work out the exact way I want? The answer is, man, I don't know. I know it's not gonna work out the way God wants if you don't start here with the scripture. Find the secret will of God by starting with the obvious will of God. So secondly then, that means we should start. Well, what, where do I start? I mean, the whole Bible, I mean, this is a little bit overwhelming. Wouldn't you agree? 66 books, all these pages, all these different things. And it's unclear sometimes as to what you should actually do when you read it. So at this point, we should be asking, what is the revealed will of God? If that's my step one, if that's where I should start, uh, where do I start? Because it's a long book. It's a set of books. And so how, tell me where I start. And what I wanna do in the second point is I wanna give you um, just a little starter kit. Five areas of, uh, of life that really matter to you and to God that you can know for sure is the will of God for you. And if you're going, okay, look, I wanna know that God's got my future in every single way, but help me, I mean, just pull out something helpful so I can know what I can start to do today. Here it is, number one, really simple. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus, John 14, 21. If you love me, this is the words of Jesus, if you love me, you'll obey my teaching. I love that because he said it in a way we can understand. <laughs> if you love me, you'll obey my teaching. Not you'll come to the porch and then you'll go get drunk the next weekend. Not you'll come and pay lip service to me, lift your hands in worship, and then um, lift your hands to some other unholy desire that you have in your life. He's saying, if you love me, Obey my teaching. He's not talking about perfection, by the way, because he knows we're not perfect. He's perfect. He's talking about the right direction, all right? If you love me, obey my teaching. So follow Jesus. Don't try to be down with Jesus and also down with six Mambo taxis. It's not gonna happen. Don't try to do both. Be down with Jesus. Walk with him, follow him. Number two, work hard no matter what your job is. Work hard no matter what your job is. Here's a, here's a place to start, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, I mentioned it earlier, whatever you do, work heartily with your whole heart, with your whole soul. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Not for people, in other words. This is saying something that's crazier than you think. It's saying you should treat your boss as if he or she was Jesus. It's saying that if some, it's as if Jesus said to you, hey, can you put that on my desk by the morning? It's as if Jesus is saying to you, hey, could you not be late anymore? It's as if Jesus is saying to you, hey, you seem a little down. Could you have a little more chipper attitude? You know, company culture kind of matters. As if Jesus was saying these things to you. That's how we should respond. Follow Jesus, work hard no matter what your job is. Number three, commit to a church. Commit to a church. Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them. 
Obey your spiritual leaders. This is referring to the, when it says spiritual leaders, it's referring to the elders, the men who follow Christ here who also get a chance to lead us. Why, because they have some secret access to God? No, but because they pay attention so closely to what God's already said for themselves and for us. You should find some healthy biblical leaders. Doesn't have to be here. There are great churches everywhere, but find some healthy leaders that you know are leading towards Christ and entrust your spirituality to them. Every one of us needs to be under authority. That is distinctly different, by the way, submitting to a church, committing to a a church, is distinctly different from critiquing a church. Very different from critiquing a church. And some of you, you're like a movie critic, you know, church version. You know, and like everything you do, you just can't help. Maybe it's a critical spirit, but you're just somehow in this rut of like, oh man, they really, really figure out the parking out here, man. This is really bad. It's hot. Should we even be doing this when it's hot? You know, I mean, we gotta walk a long way. That music was a little, I didn't hear any of my favorite songs, you know, and then, oh my gosh, it's not even JP. <laughs> oh man. Don't worry, I'm glad to see you guys too. But listen. <laughs> Truly, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you hear the thing you wanted to hear, if the coffee tastes the way you want it to taste, if your favorite communicator, and it's okay to enjoy the teaching and the service of certain people. I certainly enjoy the service and teaching of the other people who stand up here, but I just wanna tell you, it's about your access to God all the time. Not about who's playing what role and whether it's to your liking. Commit to a church. It's gonna be imperfect. It's gonna have bumps and bruises and it's gonna have problems because after all, now you're in it, okay? So it is going to have, it is not gonna be perfect. And imperfect people were there before you, of course. So find a church and just dive in, all right? Number four, this one kept me away from God for a long time. Here it is, are you ready? Pursue sexual purity. First Thessalonians 4, three through five. You know how sometimes you really want the Bible to be clear, and then it is clear, and you're like, ah, I wish it wasn't so clear. That, I had this experience when I was in high school. That happened to me, okay? I literally walked in. It was a sexual purity, like, night. That's what they were talking about. And this guy is up there talking about, listen, sexual purity means no masturbation, no oral sex, definitely no hookups, and it's, you know, sexual pleasure and connection is between a man and a woman in marriage. And I'm 17 years old listening to him, like, bro, you just shut down my whole operation. All right, like, I, dude, I, I don't, you, I got no where to turn with you right now. And, I, and seriously, I'm, I'm making light of it, but my heart was in such a spiritual place that I heard this verse and I walked out. I left. Like there was a little time where all of my peers and all the people that were in the rows around me could walk forward and like make a pledge. Yes, I agree to sexual purity with Christ. And I walked upstream out of the back of the church because I just thought that I, I just thought, you know what? I don't even care what's in this box for me. You know, I can, I can make up something better than God, you know? That was where my heart was. And I thank God that he saved me from that and changed my mind. But here's the verse. For this is the will of God your sanctification. So let there be no doubt, all right? This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the people who don't know God. So if you know God, if you're trying to follow Jesus, he wants you to handle your sexuality as if you know Jesus, who created Sex for a place, he created it for a purpose, 
and for a context. And I'll tell you what, coming out of a lot of sexual uh, immorality, I'm not the guy without a past, as I just said, and I'm telling you what happened to me is I, I just decided I'm gonna test and see because right now that sounds terrible, all right? But I'm gonna test and see, and you know what happened? Holiness and honor started to come into my life and drama and discouragement started to leave my life because that's what sexual sin is always gonna turn into, some kind of drama or some kind of discouragement because you weren't created for it. That's not why God made you that way. Pursue sexual purity. And then lastly, what else is the revealed will of God? If we, if we wanna get into the secret will of God, if we wanna find out what our future with God is and could be, what do we start with? Number five, do the right thing even if it costs you. 1 Peter 4, 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, so that will tell you right there, it is in the will of God that there will be some hard stuff in your life. Some people teach a terrible heresy that if you become a Christian, then everything just gets easy. You know, no health problems, no money problems, no problems problems. You're just fine, all right? And that's what they teach, and it is false because it says right here, let those who suffer according to God's will there will be hardship in your life. I went to my brother's funeral. I went to my mom's funeral. I've seen hard stuff, all right? And I don't know if that's a lot to you or a little to you. I just know that suffering is gonna happen even as a Christian. But listen to what it says. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So don't shut down the good just because the opposition or the hate comes from the other side. Keep trusting God and entrust yourself to him fully while you keep doing good. Here's what that means. If your boss comes to you and is like, look, man, I understand you got the religion thing, um, but you're gonna have to put that on the table for a second because we go to the strip club every quarter for the getaway retreat, okay? So if you don't come to the strip club, you don't have a job. According to 1 Peter 4.19, your response is, well, it sounds like you just made my choice for me. I don't have a job. Because I can't, oh, I can't disobey what the scripture tells me. Ladies, if a guy comes to you and is like, hey, if you start to get the vibe in the relationship rather, maybe it's not said directly, but if you start to get the vibe in a relationship that, he's, that it's like, hey, you either kind of give sex or at least some sexual favors to keep him interested or he's disinterested, you should go ahead and disinterest yourself. You should go ahead and move away from that. Why? Because you would rather pay the cost of losing your relationship with a man, any man, than losing your relationship with God. It's not worth it, all right? So entrust yourself to God. It takes trust. I know that sounds like a leap in the dark. If you got some opposition in your face and you know what you gotta do and you don't know how it's gonna turn out, that's hard. But it is in the revealed will of God for you that you do the right thing when it costs you for the name and fame of Christ. Okay, I'll just pause there. Five things, work, church, sexuality, spirituality, some major areas of life. And technically, the whole Bible is the revealed will of God. So anywhere you find a command in the Bible, you, you could get busy doing it, and that would be a good idea. But if you're like, just get me started, man, that might be enough for some of you to tackle for the rest of the year, alone. And think about this. How different would your life be if you just did those five things? How different would it be? Step into a world where that's you, Step into a world where it wasn't a democracy between you and Jesus anymore. It was just you did what he said. How much better would you sleep? How much more peace would you have? How much more respect would you find from other people? 
How much do you wish your parents had done these things? How much do your siblings wish you would do these things? This is powerful stuff. Jesus doesn't hold out. You don't have to walk with Jesus 10 years to get to the good stuff. You can start right now. And if you start to bring your life into the revealed will of God, there's no telling what he might do next. So number three. You go, okay, how do I navigate the gray areas? Number three, how do I navigate, navigate the gray areas? Because there's a revealed will of God. Sometimes it's black and white and I should just do it. Great. And we're saying that that's the way I'm gonna get in to find uh, the future that God wants for me and the blessings I hope are there. But sometimes there's just gray issues in life. Let me give you an example. Um, I'm wearing gray shoes right now, no coincidence. Um, I got black ones. I got blue ones. God didn't whisper to me this morning, wear the gray ones. <laughs> Maybe God and you have that kind of connection. I don't know. I, I only hear God speak when I read the Bible out loud, um, to quote a friend. So I don't know if you hear um, from God in that way, but I just picked and I felt free to do it. All right, but what happens when the gray decision gets a little more serious, you know? Like, who should I marry? I mean, the only black and white thing the Bible really says about that is don't marry an unbeliever if you're a follower of Christ. And then it tells you what character looks like in a woman, specifically in Proverbs 31, and in a man pretty much throughout the rest of the Bible, all right? <laughs> and so, and you just, and after that, it's like, happy hunting, you know? I mean, who should I, who, who should I marry? Like, I don't know. I have to tell you, I, God never, like, God didn't wake me up in the middle of the night and tell me my wife's name, all right, it, whenever we were just, like, dating or single. It was never, like, I didn't get woken up in the middle of the night, like, it's Gabby. That never happened. What happened was, I could see that her character seemed to match the character that God said was important, and over time, it became clear. But it was gray for a time. Until, of course, I got to know her and it was clarified that that would be a good idea in honoring to God. Some of you are like, I don't know whether to quit my job or not. That's great. It seems like I could find some biblical reasons to do that. I could also find some justifications to stay. I mean, that's, that's a heavier, you know, gray decision, if you will, not specifically called out in Scripture. So what do you do? I want to give you four questions you can ask yourself to help you get an answer. I don't know for your situation because I don't know what it is. All right, but I can give you a few questions that will help clarify it for you. Should I? Should I go on vacation with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Should I marry my boyfriend or girlfriend? Should I go to this specific bachelor party? And you can think up other examples that are relevant to your life that I'm not creative enough to come up with. But here are a few questions you could ask yourself. Number one, will it be good for my faith? Will it be good for my faith? Will it be a step in the right direction for my spirituality? 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says, all things may be lawful, but not all things edify or build up. So there may be something that, you'd, you know, you'd go, hey, um, that place in town, the Bible doesn't say don't go there, but it, it's not good for me. I just know in my most honest moment, it's not good for me. There are things you can eat, drink, and do that the Bible might not specifically say no to. But if you were gonna have your most honest moment, you know, your most honest moment with God, they're not good for you, okay? So should you go to the bachelor party? I don't know. Is it your community group guys um, that have been tracking with, that you've been tracking with and love God and you guys are gonna go get away and it's gonna be a really encouraging time for all of you and you guys are gonna pray for the guy you're sending off to marriage and uh, you're gonna come back ready to pray for a godly spouse and be more like the guy that you're sending off? 
That doesn't sound problematic. Is it the college buddies that you know what kind of environment it's gonna be and you suspect that maybe God's not doing everything in their life that God's trying to urge you to do and you know when you get there, the, the magnetism and the momentum of that old friend group is kind of gonna move you in the wrong direction? Is it that? Maybe not. But you have to figure that out for yourself. Will it be good for my faith? Number two, could it become addictive? Could it become addictive for you? 1 Corinthians 6, 12 says, all things are lawful for me, but I won't be mastered by anything. Think about this. Is it possible that there are things in the world that the Bible doesn't specifically forbid that could trap you? Are there things in this world that the Bible doesn't say you can't do that? And you go, oh, freedom in Christ. And then all of a sudden you are trapped. Answer is yes. Let me give you a really common example and invest a second of time here. Alcohol. What does the Bible say about alcohol? Some of you really want me to say right now that you can't drink. And some of you really right now want me to give you permission to drink as much as you want. All right, some of you are listening for both ways. And here's what I wanna tell you. Does the Bible specifically forbid alcohol? No. Does the Bible forbid drunkenness? Yes. Very clearly. And you go, well, where's the line? And I say, I don't know, but I know this. More people say, free, and then they end up trapped than people who say, ooh, that could lead to bondage, I'll just stay back. There are more people who don't play it safe enough. All right, and so there are many of you who I'm telling you, you're t you don't see any argument in the Bible that you can't drink, but you know if you're being really honest, for you, for you, not for everyone, for you, you never have interacted well with it. Doesn't mean God's saying it's a sin carte blanche, it just means you've never interacted well with it, and this is a problem area for you. Not because the Bible says it has to be, but because of your weakness, it just is. And what I see really commonly is young adults who cry, freedom in Christ, on the way to bondage. So be thoughtful. Could it become addictive? Number three, will it confuse or tempt other people? So if you're gonna do something, if you're asking, oh, should I do blank, you know? Well, well, people come up to you afterward and be like, I thought you were trying to do the Christian thing now, you know? If you eat that, do that, drink that, choose that, hang with that person or with that group of people, go there. If you make that choice, are people gonna be tempted to come up to you and be like, huh, I can't really put the dots together here. Will it tempt someone else? Back to the alcohol conversation. Another common mistake is, Someone who truly is free. The scripture doesn't explicitly forbid having a drink and a person doesn't particularly find it to be a temptation of any kind. For them, it's like Dr. Pepper beer. It's the same. They're not tempted for whatever reason. Many of you wish that was you and it's not you, I'm telling you, but there are people who exist that are free in that way and can interact with alcohol appropriately. Okay, um, sometimes the person who says that says, oh, I'm free in Christ and just because you don't drink, I'm still gonna have a drink in front of you. And that's not loving either. Does that make sense? So even if you are free to exercise some freedom, I'm free to do that, I'm free to make that choice, will it discourage someone else? Will it bother someone else? I have friends who don't interact well with alcohol. Guess what? It's never around them because they have a loving community around them who are thinking not just of my freedom, but what would be loving for the other people in the environment. That's when you make a huge shift in your spirituality, when you go from what's my freedom to, hey, what would bless everybody here? 
That's what will change the game for you. So if you've got a decision to make, you can think through that. Number four, lastly, would it honor God the most out of all my options? Out of all my options, whatever my options are, would it honor God the most? And this is the one that we easily think about, but we don't, uh, we don't really pause to, to do it. You know, it's easy for this to come to mind. Yeah, I wanna glorify God in everything I do. But we don't really stop to think. Like if Jesus was standing here right beside me, like would you turn to him and be like, you know, Jesus, it's really all about you and whether or not I stay at this job, like it's really not even up to me. What would honor you the most out of all my options? What would make you look great? What would make you famous? And that might clarify a few things. Would it honor God the most out of all my options? Uh, there was a time when I would have said that uh, God didn't care about my future. And I'll, I'll close by sharing this with you. There was a time when I would have said, I don't think, honestly, that God really cares about me. For a lot of reasons. One, he's big, you know, and he's busy. And, uh, and so maybe he's got so many other important things to take care of, like, you know, good people, that he wouldn't care about a future like mine. Or maybe it's just because I've done so many bad things. I've done so much, I've gone a little too far, whatever the limit uh, was to have God still interested in your life from this point forward, I clearly kind of turned my back on that and I've gone too far. So I don't know where the line is, but I'm on the wrong side of it. And then I would think, you know what, maybe, maybe God, uh, maybe when I was born, you know, God had a wonderful plan for my life. But that's clearly gone and now I'm just trying to do damage control so I can maybe get second or third or fifth best. That's kind of the mode I was in. I just thought, God, there's no way God could really be interested in me. Maybe God loves me because after all, he's God. He's supposed to love everyone, but I don't get the feeling that God would like me very much. That's how I felt. And if you've ever felt that way, as you look out at your future and you're going, what's the will of God for my life? And I'm not getting answers from the preachers. Just give me more questions to ask. Like, God, are you gonna help me with the future or not? And if you feel alone when you look out like that, you might have been tempted to read the Bible like I did. I used to read the Bible a little bit like this, and this might be where you find yourself. I'm going, where's the talk about my future? I mean, where? You know, I got, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's great, it's not my future. Noah and the ark, good story, not my future. Good boat, not my future. Another cool story, not about me, not about my future, okay? Here are some psalms now. I got some poetry. Not a poetry guy particularly, but hey, I'm glad it's there. Also not about my future. Now I got some prophets. Okay, I've been reading a long time and now I got some prophets. Seems like God's mad. I'm probably a part of that, but it's definitely not about my future. There's nothing in here about me. And then eventually you come to a place where you realize, hey, this is a scene I've seen before. I've looked at it a bunch of times but I hadn't seen it. And it's happened to me. It's the scene where Jesus gives his blood, his life, on a cross. Not a cross like the, the one, the shiny one that you have around your neck, but a cross where it's made of wood and he's pinned to it like a poster. And he's there's blood coming from every part of his body so that you can't even recognize, it says in the scripture, can't even recognize that it's a human being. 
pain like you would not be able to even see or even look at. If you had been there, you would have passed out or vomited or at least had to look away because it was so gruesome. And I've been told about the cross of Christ and I know it's on churches and I know it's all over t-shirts and I know it's a popular symbol, but there was a time when I finally saw it. And I saw that Jesus was spilling his blood, expressing the love of God to me. And you go, what does the blood of Christ have to do with my future? What does the blood of Christ have to do with me? That was a sharp turn there, Garrett. How'd you get from, you know, my future, my future to the blood of Christ? Well, Jesus explained the cross this way. He said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. As a ransom to buy back many. And you go, well, many, many what? Many pasts, many divorces, abortions, angry seasons of your life, came to buy back a past of bitterness, came to ransom you from your lies and your secrets. All the reasons you have in your head to believe that God's not for you from this point forward, Jesus came to pay for them. So he came to buy back a past. He came to buy back a present, your addiction, your secret, whatever you're harboring, whatever it is in this place that makes you come in here and be more interested in the opposite sex than in God, whatever it is about you that's broken, your self-obsession, your inability to manage food or alcohol well, he came to buy back your present. And of course, by the blood of Christ, he didn't just come back to buy the past and the present, he came to buy back everyone's future. Every step you take for the rest of your life, Jesus died on the cross so that you could walk with him. And you go, well, the cross is a thing of the past. I mean, that was 2,000 years ago. What does that have to do with my future? The cross is where your future was purchased back and handed to you for free. The Bible says that God can take back the years that the enemy stole from you. It says, the, it says that God can take back the years that the enemy ate from you. The years you should have had and the way life should have gone doesn't have to be lost because the blood of Christ came out of a perfect human being, the only perfect human being who has ever lived, who gave everything he had for us. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends, calls you a friend. He also says, I came that they may have life and have it abundant. What does that mean? Heaven for sure. But what else does abundant life mean? It means today for the rest of the rest, you can walk with Christ because of the blood of Christ. You can walk into the future that God wants for you. Now I wanna be really careful. I'm not saying that if you believe in the blood of Christ and become a Christian, inside this magical chest of your future is all the stuff you want. I'm saying it's all the stuff God wants for you. And you don't have to lose it this time because Jesus died to bring it back to life. That's our hope. So I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what disappointment you have. I don't know what frustrations you have. I don't know what insecurities you have. And I'll be honest, I don't know when God's gonna unlock all the stuff you wanna know and experience. I haven't seen everything from God I want in my life. I can tell you that. And I don't know when you're gonna see it either, but I know this. 
If you'll receive life from Christ, you will receive everything God wants for you, which is better than what you could dream up on your best day. I went out and ran toward the life I thought I could build for myself. And I came up empty. And when I see the blood of Christ offering back to me what I tried to throw away and letting me volunteer into it, not slapping my hand, just saying, I, I, I paid it. The, the anger's gone. Everything you did wrong is paid for. And you can pick it up right here with hope because of what Jesus did for you. I don't know what God specifically wants to do through you. I hope it's amazing. I hope he gives you the wildest godly dreams in your heart. I hope he uses you. I hope he uses you to raise a family. I hope he uses you to share his hope and love in your office and actually see people respond. I don't know what he wants to go do with you. I just want you to be there and be available to find out. And making the cross your everything today is how you make sure you find out what he wants to do with you. It takes patience. It's not instant. And it's worth it. Let's pray together. God, we want everything to do with you. We've tried our way. We've moved out from your presence and we've turned our back on you. Every single one of us has tried to free ourselves from you only to end up tangled and realize it. And God, there's more brokenness in this room than I could ever name, but because the shadow of the cross of Jesus Christ is over this building tonight, there is more hope in this room than I could ever say. We thank you for the hope that we have, God. Thank you for returning a hope to us. Help us not let anxiety steal this moment away, God, by making us worry, but yeah, what about, what about? God, help us think just for a second. Grab our attention for five minutes and help us think, what about the cross? And what does it mean for me? Make eye contact with us, God, so that we can see your love for us and rejoice that we have a hope and a future. In Jesus' name, amen.